now two years in a row, take the same week of the year to introduce uh, our speaker for today, also my brother-in-law, which I'm glad to say, uh, John Davis, who almost may not need much introduction because many of us know him, uh, served here uh, for a number of years, and now they live in Menor, Ohio, where they serve at a church you may have come across in the bulletin, actually the church that I grew up in, Bible Community Church. Um, I'm thankful to the Lord for John's faithfulness, and uh, you may or may not know this, John's a UPS driver. I think the 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 wind in his beard helps him deliver packages swiftly. Uh, no, John's a UPS driver, has been for a number of years. I, I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord, even though he uh, works a full-time job uh, that way. That's very tiring, and I don't know how he does it. Uh, we got in a competition for some time. Uh, the step counter who got the most steps in the day and John would just always win and nobody wanted him to play anymore because nobody could beat him. Uh, even though he does that, uh, that he still serves and labors to teach and preach the word. I know that's a blessing to my family and others at Bible community. And also as he's had opportunity to come back down here and minister to us, I'm thankful for that as well. Uh, appreciate John's commitment to the word and to the truth. Uh, but John and Rachel and Nate and Jack, they have another one, Addie the rose between the thorns who wasn't able to be here today, but uh, we're thankful for them. Love you guys a lot. And uh, John, if you'd come and minister the word to us today. Of course, they would be very quick to speak up and say, no, it's the thorn between two roses. <laughs> I thank you for those kind words, John. That was uh, uh, very nice. And there were definitely some other ways you could have gone with that. So uh, I, I appreciate that. And yes, the, the beard helps at the job. At least that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Um, but if you're thinking about growing a beard, just know uh, it makes it very difficult to um, eat ice cream cones, <laughs> to drink out of a drinking fountain, to eat cereal or to eat soup. So just if you're thinking about growing one, words of warning, uh, you will have a few difficulties to have to work through if you if you decide to grow one. Uh, we are thankful to be here this Sunday. Uh, yes, it's second year in a row. Uh, Pastor Joel mentioned that it's the same Sunday. We're glad that your pastors are able to get away for vacations. We're glad we're able to be here and help to fill in so that they can get away for those times. So thank you for the opportunity. Uh, if you would take your Bibles, please open them to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. When I read, I'll be reading verses 1 through 19. Uh, my goal, Lord willing, is to get through part of this passage this morning and then finish up uh, this evening. Again, we plan to be back this evening, and I, I know this it's a, it's a big passage. And so uh, just as we're going through, if you're kind of keeping track about how much we've gotten through and how much there still is to get through, just know that my, my plan is to do part this morning and part this evening. Uh, let's read 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 19. You therefore, my son, be strong that is in the grace. I'm sorry. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Let's pray. Father, once again, I do thank you for the truth of your word. And as we have time now this morning to consider both what it says and what it means, I'd ask that you'd help us on, on both of those things, to be able to uh, think about the words that you have chosen to pass along to us, that we would think about their meaning, their significance for our lives, and that your spirit would please take those words and um, powerfully make them to have their intended effect in our lives. Thank you that you know what that effect is for each one of us who are here this morning, each one of us who is listening or watching. Uh, thank you that you are the one who is behind the work of your word. Uh, we trust you for that work. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I know uh, John mentioned that we live up in the city of Mentor, and since you guys live around here, if you hear that word Mentor, it may be a, a place that you think of. But uh, if we didn't live here and if we didn't live there and you heard the word mentor or mentor, depending on how, how much emphasis you put at the end, you wouldn't think of a city. You might think of a person, uh, someone who comes along someone else and uh, comes alongside someone else and helps them with whatever it is that that person is doing. And it may be that in your life, you can look back on your past and think of someone who was a mentor for you, uh, you know, a special uh teacher who perhaps took some difficult subject and maybe made it easy to be able to learn. Uh, it could be at a job that you were at and you weren't getting something that it was that you were supposed to be doing and someone came along and showed you how to do it. Um, that relationship of mentor and someone being mentored or taught is the kind of relationship that Paul and Timothy had. Uh, Paul is the writer of this letter. He's writing to someone that he has mentored, Timothy, and that's the kind of letter that we find ourselves in this morning. Uh, my goal, really, for uh, looking at this passage today, uh, you may have noticed as we read through those 19 verses that they kind of break down into to three paragraphs. Uh, chapter uh, verses 1 through 7 is one paragraph. Uh, chapter 8 through 
verses 8 through 13 are the next paragraph, and verses 14 through 19 are the next paragraph. We're going to look at each of those, but prior to looking at those, I really wanted to spend some time thinking about Paul and Timothy and their relationship. That is, the one who was being taught and the one who was teaching him. So we're going to spend some time thinking about that relationship because this letter here is one of the the what I might call a personal letter of the New Testament. Um, some letters are, are written to churches as a whole or uh, believers that all live in a certain area. And so they are personal because the writer intended them to be read personally. But other letters that we find in the New Testament are written from one person to another person specifically. Uh, the book of Philemon is like that. Paul wrote to Philemon because he was sending Onesimus back to Philemon and he desired forgiveness and reconciliation between those two people. And this is the kind of letter that we have here for us today. It's a personal letter. Um, one of the reasons I like these personal letters is because we do get to see a side of, a po of the Apostle Paul that we don't always see in those other group letters. Uh, we get to see how Paul has interacted with the person he's writing to, how he treats them, uh, as well as seeing how his doctrine is, and his theology work out in these real-life relationship-type situations. Because what we believe about God, our theology, our, our doctrine, is always going to affect the way we live, whether it's good theology and doctrine leading to good living or bad theology and doctrine leading to bad living, it's going to affect the way we live. And in Paul's interactions with specific people, we can see how his theology works out. To say it another way, how we live displays what we believe. We can say we believe one thing, but if it never affects the way we live, it's just facts in our heads. It's just words on, our page, words on a page. But these letters uh, display the effect of Paul's right theology, both in the, both when he needed to correct something, when he was trying to get someone to do something he needed them to do, uh, as well as helping us to understand why it is that he sat down and, uh, and write it. But because it's personal, we might be tempted to think, okay, well, that's just to Timothy. But because it's in the Bible, it's for all believers, and actually the very last verse of the letter where it says in chapter six, verse uh, chapter four, verse twenty-two, it says, "The Lord be with your spirit." That is a singular. He's talking to Timothy. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And that you is actually a plural you. And so some translations put you all. And so Paul knew that it was going to be read by people other than Timothy. While it was directed to Timothy, and Timothy was his student, and as we read in verse 1 of chapter 2, he considered him his son in the faith. Ultimately, it's intended for us here this morning as well, which is kind of, uh, you know, very providential when you think of it, when you think about God through Paul writing a letter all that many years ago to Timothy, but yet knowing that we would be hearing it here this morning. That's how God's providence works out. That's how God's word comes to us. And so as we think about Paul, as we think about Timothy, we may be at a point in our life where we are that mentor with someone younger in the faith. Uh, we might be someone in Timothy's spot who is younger in the faith and is moving up, and we have a mentor or someone who is teaching us. And that relationship we'll be able to see in the way in which Paul talks to Timothy. Uh, so just by way of introduction, then, uh, you may know a lot about Timothy here. You may not know a whole lot, but Timothy was a longtime traveling companion of Paul. He went with him on many of his missionary journeys. Uh, he was someone that Paul trusted as his representative in many different cities. 
with several different letters. Uh, And this letter ultimately, uh, we believe, would have been the last communication from Paul to Timothy. Most likely, Paul realized that he was never going to see Timothy again. And so this is his last message to someone that he has brought along in the faith and has helped him in his ministry of the gospel. And so he puts uh, specifically what it is that he wants Timothy to know so that his ministry can continue also. There are memorable verses uh, throughout this book. I mean, there are memorable verses throughout the Bible. But uh, if you look at chapter 1, verse 7, um, there is uh, chapter 1, verse 7 is a, a verse that comes up a lot. God has not given us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of discipline. If you look down at verse 12 of chapter 1, uh, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And there's a hymn that goes along that word uh, with those words. And you may be thinking of that hymn right now. And again, going back to Sunday school, that's a, that's a good use of hymns, putting God's word into our minds. Um, but we can see even from these verses that Paul cared deeply for Timothy. Uh, we can see that when we look for at verse uh, five of chapter one, uh, starting in verse four, actually, where he says, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears. And those were probably tears that Timothy had the last time that he saw Paul, so that I may be filled with joy. I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. Uh, Paul trusted Timothy to say what Paul needed him to when he wasn't there. And so that means Timothy was a man of integrity. Paul recognized that faith had come to Timothy uh, via via the grace of God. And so Paul was a man of integrity. And because he was a man of integrity, he had been given many difficult jobs by the Apostle Paul. Sometimes, perhaps because of the verse that I read first there, where Paul has to remind Timothy not to have a spirit of timidity, Timothy might have a bit of a of a um, reputation as someone who who wasn't bold and who needed constant encouragement to be bold, and that is a possibility. But it might also be that Paul knew the difficult jobs that he had sent Timothy to do, and anybody in that situation would need encouraged to be bold in those kind of situations. They weren't easy. For instance, uh, Timothy was Paul's messenger to the church in Corinth when Paul needed to send one of his letters back to them. And if you are familiar with the letters from Paul to the church at Corinth, they weren't necessarily glowing letters. They weren't letters of, well, they were letters of love, but they, they, but they were letters where Paul needed to correct something. And Timothy was Paul's messenger to take that letter back to Corinth. Most likely then he wouldn't have just dropped the letter and run. Uh, he might have felt like doing that but he would have stayed and helped them to understand what it was that Paul was saying in that letter. Uh, We also find out from the book of Hebrews later on that Timothy himself ends up in prison, just like Paul was as he was writing this letter, for the sake of preaching the gospel. As we read through chapter 2, you saw that Paul says he was in prison, he was in chains for the sake of the gospel. That happens to Timothy too. Again, People in that situation are going to need encouraged to continue on in the truth. And so Paul is all about encouraging his son in the faith. Um, Here in the current situation that Timothy is, he's actually in the city of Ephesus. So this morning in uh, the uh, Christian Life Hour, we looked at Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul wrote to 
Ephesus, but we're told he sent that letter by someone other than Timothy. Later on now, Paul is sending Timothy back to the city of Ephesus to help strengthen and encourage that church there. And we find out from this letter of Timothy, if we were to read through it, that the false teachers who were there back when Paul started the church and the false teachers who were there when Paul was writing Ephesians 5 had either never left or had come back and Paul had to send Timothy into into Ephesus to counteract the situation with the false teachers there again. And so again, Timothy would have needed encouragement, really anyone in that situation would have needed encouragement, but he was a man that Paul trusted to take the truth of the word and do the hard thing that needed done at the right time. Now, Paul himself, as I said, was writing the letter from prison. Uh, and so as we read through this, if, if, if we read through the whole letter, we would see the difficulties of Paul's life, persecution, imprisonment, abandonment. At one point, he says, all have left me. So the Bible doesn't record Paul's death or tell us exactly when it happened, but there is a, a good reason to believe that he is in the last prison that he was ever in before he was killed. And this was perhaps one of the last letters, if not the last letter he wrote before he was killed. He used the word criminal there as we were reading through uh, verse 9, indicating that he most likely wasn't under house arrest as he had been at various times in his life, uh, where he was able to, you know, have people come and visit him and live in a, a normal house. He just wasn't allowed to leave the house. He was most likely in a Roman prison, a Roman prison that was dark, smelly, dank, all the other words that would describe a Roman prison at the time, certainly not um, what we have come to understand prisons in, in our country to be. He would have only been getting the food that people would bring him from the outside. Uh, and if you look at verse 15 of chapter one, uh, the situation uh, that he is describing says, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. So again, he's been abandoned by some who at one point perhaps were people who helped him serve in the gospel. Uh, in chapter four, if you uh, let's turn over to chapter four again, because I'll refer, I'll be referring to this man later in the message, but in chapter four, verse 10, it brings up a man who um, we might know his name, but it's it's not necessarily a, a good reason that we know his name. Uh, it says, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So Demas was a man that at one time served along with Paul and now has abandoned him. Uh, go down and look at verse 16 of chapter 4. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But there is joy in, in serving Jesus, verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, you can So you can sense both the difficulty, but also the confidence that went along with Paul's ministry. Uh, you know, Jesus himself warned his disciples and warned us that all who followed him would be treated by the world in the same way that Jesus himself had been treated. And so Paul wasn't surprised at this at this treatment. And ultimately, we shouldn't be surprised at it, at it either if and when it comes to us. 
Uh, physical persecution of Christians is in other places in this world today, and it very likely may come to us in, in where, where we're at. Um, and if it does, then this letter is a source of strength in that kind of experience, something that I've never experienced what it was that Paul was going through. But this letter then would be a source of encouragement if we ever did have to experience it. But persecution is not always something that's physical. It's not something like Paul's situation where we're, where we're thrown in prison. It could be something that affects your job. You know, it could be something that affects your bank account that keeps you from getting some kind of promotion, that someone who's willing to do something, uh, you know, dishonest gets the promotion instead of us. Uh, it could be something that affects your reputation with, with your neighbors um, in such a way that, that they have a, uh, you know, they have an attitude towards you that, that, uh, is is not right, but it's because of your stand on the gospel. Even in those situations, uh, a letter like this will give you encouragement and help you not to lose heart. Uh, which leads to the next passage that had come to mind, but the fact that Paul wrote this in other places also. It wasn't just 2 Timothy. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians verse 4. Again, Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Why? For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. What enabled Paul to have that kind of future focus in the middle of difficulties that we haven't experienced? And then... How is it that Timothy would be able to live the way that he did, to do the things that God wanted him to do in the face of opposition and error that he experienced? You know, life isn't always going to go the way that we want it to. Um, it would be wonderful. Well, I say it, but ultimately it wouldn't be. If we could design the path that we get to walk down, you know, and, and there are times that we look at the path that we're on and I'm tempted to say, God, why did, why did the script have to be written that way? Why couldn't it have been that way? And and you look at Paul and Timothy's life and you think, why would Paul be in a prison and possibly be coming to the end of his life? I mean, there are so many more people that he could have taken the gospel to. Why would Timothy have to be sent to Ephesus to you know spend all his time uh, opposing these false teachers when there are so many other people, other places that the gospel hasn't gone to? Where did Paul's confidence come from? Where did Timothy's encouragement come from? Well, it wasn't something that they stirred up in themselves. Uh, it's not something that Paul simply wanted Timothy to think that he needed to produce uh, that kind of response. It only comes from one place, and you see it mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 2. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so as we uh, think about uh, this passage this morning, 2 Timothy 2, I, really the, the, the title of my sermon is uh, The God Who Enables. The God Who Enables, and the thing that I want you to remember is that God's gracious faithfulness powerfully produces strength in the lives of his children. God's gracious faithfulness powerfully produces lives uh, in the, powerfully produces strength in the lives of his children. The same God who is faithfully gracious to Paul and Timothy is the same God who is faithfully gracious to us today. He has never and will never abandon any of his children. He, Paul was not, a, while well, he said he had been abandoned, and he was referring to the people who had left him, he had never been abandoned by God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
James 1.16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not change. It's easy to forget that, though. Again, we may not be in a prison expecting an execution at any day, but the truth is that at times on the path that God does lay out for us, there are trials, there are difficulties, there are testings that we as his children, God is taking us through. And earlier in James 1, he says that we are to count those testings as joy. Where does the ability to come from to be able to do that? Well, uh, we're going to see that it comes from God's gracious faithfulness. And actually, we can see that not in the not only in the words that Paul uses in these 19 verses, but also in the way that he's structured these 19 verses. And so that the first paragraph that we're going to look at is verse one through seven. And I just want to point out that in each one of these paragraphs, there's a command that comes at the beginning. Um, the first command we're going to look at is be strengthened. Chapter two, verse one, be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus. But then if you look at uh, verse eight, if your Bible is, is arranged in paragraphs, you may have this pointed out for you. But in verse eight, the one command we're going to look at is remember. Be strengthened, remember, and then verse 18, remind. Be strengthened, remember, and remind. But each one of those commands are anchored by the end of the paragraph as to why it is that we're able as God's children to be able to do them. For instance, uh, verse 7 says, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Verse 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And then verse 19 says, the firm foundation of the Lord stands, having the seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And so for every one of these commands, there's a corresponding characteristic or attribute of God that makes it possible for one of his servants to be able to obey it. Whether it was Timothy in the city of Ephesus, whether it was Paul in the prison he was in, or whatever situation God places us in, there is some aspect or attribute of God that gives us the ability to be able to obey the commands that, that, that we see here. And then sandwiched in between those two things in each one of these sections is what it's going to look like for that command to be lived out in the life of a believer. So it's important to remember that God's gracious faithfulness powerfully produces strength in the lives of his children. And the first thing we're going to look at then is the command, be strengthened. Be strengthened. You, therefore, my son, be strong that is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And it is important to realize that this is a command. It's, a, it's an imperative. Uh, it says to, to be strong. It is something that, that we are supposed to do. However, it's not a command to just grin and bear it. It's not a command to just clench your muscles and put your shoulder into it. Rather, both the grammar that Paul chose and the context that he places it in indicates that our strength comes from something else. And so some translations actually say, be strengthened, be strengthened. Where does the strength comes from? come from? It comes from the end of the verse, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so we need to think about grace for a little bit. What is grace? If you've been around church for a while, you've certainly heard a lot about grace, and you should, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Uh, we sing about grace because it's amazing. Uh, we thank God for it because it is truly marvelous. Grace describes the way God acts towards us who are his children, 
but who once were his enemies. And in fact, to be able to move from that enemy team to the family of God describes what God in his grace did for us. He treats us in a way that we do not deserve. He doesn't move us from his enemies to his family because we did something good. That good favor was not something that we work for. If it was, then he wouldn't be treating us with grace. It would be simply what it was owed to us for our own effort and work. Now look back at verse 9 of chapter 1, where he says at the end of verse 8, Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. If God was not a gracious God, no one here would be a Christian. In fact, no one would ever turn to God from their sin if God had never moved in grace on their behalf through the person and work of Jesus Christ. No one would ever turn to God through faith, leaving their works behind if God were ungracious. How much grace does God have? As I was pondering that question yesterday, the the answer that came to mind was boundless. And one of the hymns then, uh, Domingo, going back to Sunday school, that, that stuck in my mind, answering the question, how much grace does God have? Oh, boundless salvation, devotion of love. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that hymn, if it's in your hymnal. If you are, you might be singing it. I, there were a couple of verses that stuck out to me as I looked at that hymn. O boundless salvation, deep ocean of love. O fullness of mercy, Christ brought from above. The whole world redeeming, so rich and so free, now flowing for all men, come roll over me. My sins, they are many, their stains are so deep, and bitter the tears of remorse that I weep. But weeping is useless, thou great crimson sea, thy waters can cleanse me, come roll over me. The tide is now flowing, I'm touching the wave. I hear the loud call of the mighty to save, my faith's growing bolder, delivered I'll be, I plunge neath the waters, they roll over me. And so God's grace to us is boundless, God's grace to those who are not believers are boundless. And that is, and it's the message of God's grace that just as Paul was in prison for it, and Timothy was taking it. It's that message of grace that we are to take to our neighbors around us. And anyone that we take that message of grace to who comes to God through faith in that grace will find that God's grace is boundless for them as well. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest and righteousness. And so you heard the words there in that passage, all and every and forever. But you also notice that there's a giver. There's a receiver. And that grace that the giver is giving to the receiver isn't supposed to stop with the one who receives it. Yes, it is something that we freely receive, but it's also something we're supposed to freely give out. Uh, Peter, in one of his letters, calls us stewards or managers of God's grace. We, as God's children, are then to be grace dispensers. With the grace that he has given us, it's not supposed to stay bottled up in us. It's supposed to move, and it will move out of us to people around us, both within the, the ministry of the church 
that we go to, but also just in the, the, the people that we meet on a daily basis. We, we should be described as believers, as gracious people, because we are filled with the grace of God. So it's not supposed to, to just stop with us. It's supposed to continue moving outwards. And that thought then moves us to the next part of this, this first paragraph, uh, where Paul really has four illustrations that help us understand how we're supposed to use God's grace. What does it look like? What are some pictures that help us understand how grace uh, works out in the lives of um, uh, believers? What does being strengthened in the grace of, of Jesus cause us to do? And these four pictures are pictures of different careers or activities in life. Uh, might be one that you choose. It might not be. Uh, they're, they're, they're illustrations that help us to understand what a grace-filled life looks like. Uh, let's look at the first one in verse 2. It says, The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the first career, the first picture that, that Paul draws to our minds is that of a teacher. So a grace-enabled, a, a grace-strengthened believer will in some way be a teacher. Now, I mentioned some way because we find out in other places that each of us is gifted to do different things. And one who is gifted to teach in this way over here may not be gifted to teach in this way over here. But you are. And so your teacher teaching happens over here and their teaching happens over here. It's ne we're never called to compare ourselves with the, to the grace that God has given us. We're simply called to obey or to use the grace that God has given us to teach others also. Uh, the word that um, Paul uses here in verse 2, entrust, is the idea of commit. Taking something that belongs to you and putting it into someone else's hands. Uh, Paul had done this for Timothy. Timothy was involved in the work of doing this for others. We're to be involved in doing that same thing as we get that grace from God's word. God's grace can't just stop with us. And in fact, it won't. It's, it's powerful. It is something we are to grow in. We're to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we can help our brothers and sisters in Christ do that as we teach within the, the, we teach within the body of Christ, whatever context God, God puts us. But with each one of these pictures that we're going to see, there's a, there's a difficulty and a blessing that goes along with it. What's the difficulty that goes along with teaching? We have several teachers in here, you know, maybe full-time, maybe part-time. Maybe I shouldn't say what, what is the difficulty that goes along with teaching, but who is the difficulty that goes along with teaching? The students, right? But then again, if you didn't have students, you wouldn't have a job. I mean, if it wasn't for people, life would, life would be kind of easy. But then, if it wasn't for, but then if we didn't have people, we wouldn't have anyone to dispense grace to. And so there is a difficulty that comes along with, with being a teacher. And it's, it's having to work with the students that God has sent us. Uh, the, the other difficulty is time. How many times do you who teach have to teach something before your students finally get it? How many times do you as students have to hear your teacher teach something before you finally get it? It's the first time, right? Right? Yeah. Okay. They don't need to say it a second time. In general, that's not what happens. A teacher has to be committed to the discipline of time, to to teaching it over and over and over again. Some will learn quicker than others, but generally speaking, the work of teaching takes time. It's time intensive. Um, God's grace produces the patience and endurance necessary, though, for this kind of time intensive, people strengthening work. 
That's the difficulty. And that doesn't mean don't do it. Just know going into it that there is going to be difficulty. But what's the blessing? The blessing is seeing your, your students get it. You know, seeing the light bulb go off above their head. Oh, that's what you meant. All right. Or seeing your students take what you've been teaching them and teach someone without you ever having to be there. Uh, that's what Paul points out at the end of verse two, who will be able to teach others also. Again, it's not something that ends with us. God's grace empowers it all. And um, this idea of teaching helps us to understand what it might be that God calls us to do in whatever context he has set us to do it in. The second picture that Paul calls us to and gives us a picture of, uh, of a grace-filled, grace-dispensing life, is that of a soldier in verses 3 and 4, where he says, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You know, we already heard Paul refer to a soldier when he said that he had fought the good fight of faith. So anybody who thinks about a soldier understands that there are difficulties that go along with being a soldier, like having to fight. All right. Here, Paul lists two other difficulties, that of enduring suffering and avoiding entanglements. And so a soldier's life, uh, the picture that, that, that uh, Paul is giving us is a realistic one. The fact that a soldier's life is not an easy one. And, you know, I'm prone to think, you know, come on, Paul, why couldn't you have picked like an easier picture? You know, I, I like pillows. I like warm beds. I like air conditioning in the summer. You know, why couldn't it be a picture of something like that? But that's not the picture that Paul calls us to as a child of God. I mean, we might have those things in the situation that Paul is, has, has placed us. They're not bad, but but ultimately, um, a, a grace-filled, grace-dispensing believer has to, re has to be remembered and be committed to the difficulties that, that might come as a result of being a soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, when Paul uses the word um, entangles, entangles himself, uh, it's important to realize that that's not a negative word in and of itself. Entanglements isn't, isn't necessarily something sinful. It could be, but just in and of itself, it's, it's not something sinful. It's, it simply refers to things that are out of place. And so when David went to fight Goliath, what did King Saul give him first? Gave him armor that was too heavy for him. It would have slowed him down. It was out of place. That would have been an entanglement for David because the armor didn't fit. Um, just humorously thinking, what if a soldier showed up to his post driving a large RV, all right, because he wanted to bring along those things that are, I had mentioned, the warm bed, soft pillow, air conditioning, all right? It, it wouldn't work for a soldier's life. Uh, those, there are things that a soldier needs to choose to leave behind so he can do what the one who has enlisted him has called him to do. And so as soldiers strengthened with God's grace, we do have to evaluate. We have to discern. Sometimes there are good things we have to say no to in light of the eternal things that I read about earlier. With this picture, Paul isn't saying, you know, don't have a family or turn your back on your family. He's not saying don't have any possessions. Go live in a monastery. Rather, he's saying something like what he had to tell the Corinthians when he said, make use of the world, but not full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. The good gifts that God gives us, the things that we can see and touch and enjoy, 
They're nice. They're good. We can enjoy them when they're enjoyed in the right way. But ultimately, they're temporary. They're passing. And so as a soldier, we need to have a right perspective on those things. Uh, Colossians 3 says, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The good things that sometimes we might decide we need to have to give up for the better thing. You know, that's not ultimately a sacrifice because the best thing is coming. And that is, we've been hidden with Christ in God. Christ, who is our life, appears. We will appear with him in glory. So it's really not a sacrifice to have to set it aside because the best thing is still coming. But then as we look at this picture of a soldier, we also have to, to realize that there is a blessing that comes with it. And the blessing is that we get to be pleasing to the one who enlisted us. Ultimately, we do all things for God's glory. And since it's God's grace that enables us to do these things, then ultimately it's God who gets the glory when these things work themselves out through the lives of his children. God is pleased when we as his children obey him, rely on his strength, and the grace that he has given to us continues to pass from us onto other people. Uh, the, the third picture that Paul calls to mind is that of an athlete. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Um, the, the, the difficulty that's pictured with this illustration, and in one way it's a difficulty, but in another way it's a blessing, is the phrase there where he says, according to the rules. Uh, if you're an athlete, if you're participating in some sport, what is it that gives you the boundaries that you have to that you have to be an athlete in? It's 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 the rule book. You know, so if a soccer player were to pick up the ball and run down the field and score a goal, would that goal count? Um, if the volleyball player stands in the middle and pulls the net down so her short friend can spike, does does that count? No, it doesn't count. Why? Because it's outside of the, the rules. And the difficulty with that is not that the rules are bad, but that we are born as natural people kicking against those rules, resenting those rules, having to come underneath of those rules, humbly recognizing that the rules that God has set down are the rules that we need to live under. And that kind of understanding only comes again from grace because it's grace that humbles us. Uh, the blessing in this picture we find at the end of the verse is in reaching the end of the race, finishing the course, winning the prize. Grace enables us to get to that point by staying in, in God's boundaries all along through the race that we're going in. The, the, the marathoner who cuts the corners might cross the finish line, but did so in an illegitimate manner. The end of the race that we are looking for is um, the parable that Jesus spoke in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, where, where uh, the, the master gave talents to three servants. Two of them doubled those talents, and the words of the master to his servants at that point were, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So we need to remember the thing that got us into the race, that grace of God in Jesus Christ is the thing that carries us through it so that we do it according to the boundaries, according to the guidelines that he has set up. And then the fourth picture is that of a hardworking farmer. Verse six, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. 
Now, if you've heard me speak before, I often refer to it. You know what my thoughts are about vegetables, all right? Mm -hmm. So when you think of a farmer here, don't think of a vegetable farmer. Think of perhaps my most, um, the, the farmer that I like best of all, and that would be a bacon farmer. <laughs> um, perhaps a sugar cane combined with a cocoa bean farmer, okay? But even with those kind of farmers, there's going to be difficulties that come along with farming. What are those difficulties? Um, I mean, there's the there's the plowing and the planting and the uh, weeding and the reaping. There's hard work that goes along with farming. Um, just like a teacher, there's a time commitment. And like so with some, you know, depending on who you're teaching, just like with a farmer here, it 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 might be all day, every day. But yet, what is the blessing? The blessing is that there is a harvest a harvest at the end. And enjoying the fruit of your labor is something that you can look forward to knowing that the one who had uh, gave you the grace to be a farmer is the one who is also through his grace causing the, the harvest to grow. And in the end, you along with that har harvest will be to the praise of the glory of his grace. So, um, these four illustrations help us to understand what it might look like to obey that command in verse one of being strong, being strengthened in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus, that is in Christ Jesus. And then the, the aspect or attribute of God's character that anchors all of this first section is in verse seven, and it, uh, where Paul writes, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And ultimately what I think... Um, uh, Paul is referring here to is the work of the Holy Spirit in uh, illumination. Uh, Jesus in the Gospels told his disciples who didn't want him to go away that it was necessary and that it was good for him to go away because if he went away, he would send a helper, a helper who would come along. That helper is the Holy Spirit. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is removes our natural hostility towards God's word so that instead of rejecting it, we welcome it as the unchanging word of God. We understand the significance of it, that it's not just human words written on a page, that it's eternal words that have been preserved and passed down to us so that we can know the God who wrote the words down, which again points back to the graciousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, God takes the scales off of our blind eyes so that we can see uh, the truth of God's word. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he opens our blind eyes. David in the Old Testament said that God changes our ears of stone to ears of flesh so that truth can sink in rather than bouncing off. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit begins that work at regeneration, but then continues it throughout our life of faith. We as believers can be tempted to think that maybe God's word isn't so right. Maybe it isn't the thing I'm supposed to base my life on. But that work of the Holy Spirit coming along, verse 7, consider what I say, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is a promise that God who brings us into a life of faith sustains it, sustains us throughout it. Um, and so the Holy Spirit gives us the attitude towards God's word that, that we need so that it will have its intended effect. Uh, James 1, verse 25, uh, shows us how we are supposed to react to God's word as children who have had our eyes opened 
the blinders removed, ears that can have God's word sink into it. James 1.25 says, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks at a natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Verse 7, is, is that's what Paul is re referring here to, abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. James is not telling his readers there to go out and prove that you are saved by obeying the word of God. He is ultimately referring back to the fact that because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, he will bring us face to face with God's word. And just as a mirror shows us our imperfections that can be fixed, so also God's word will point out imperfections that must be fixed. And God's word, through the conviction of the spirit, will move us to fix those imperfections. And so uh, the first paragraph is the only one that I'm going to get, get to this morning. I'll see about finishing the second and the third paragraphs this evening. But uh, it's important to remember that our God is a God who enables. Our God is a gracious God who enables. And God's gracious faithfulness powerfully produces strength in the lives of his children. He does that by reminding us that we need to be strengthened or be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That grace that we receive then flows out, just as it worked out through those four pictures of different careers that we could have. And we have the confidence in knowing that the Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives, convincing us of the truth of the word so that we are continually and um persistently, even in times of difficulty, trials and tests, hanging on to the truth of that word. Ultimately, we hang on because he hangs on to us. And we have that promise that our God is a faithful God who powerfully produces strength in the lives of his children. Let's pray. Dear Father, I do want to thank you this morning that you are a gracious father and thank you that your grace is boundless. It's limitless. Thank you that no one needs to convince you to be a gracious God. That is just who you are. And I'd ask you through the truth of your word and through the work of your spirit, would you please take these words from your, from your word this morning and help us to, to thank you, first of all, for being a gracious God, to um, look at areas of our lives where that grace needs to uh, come out and be used and depend on you for that grace to work out that way. And then, Father, ask you for strength to continue holding on to your word, no matter what kind of situation it is, what kind of difficult test that you have placed us in. Your word remains true because it has come from a God who is true. Thank you for your providence. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.